a person who was uh, many years ago in the Japanese Imperial Army. In 1944, he was placed on the island called Hubeng, Hubeng Island in the Philippines to fight for the Japanese. After he got there with, with some of his fellow soldiers, many of them died, and soon enough, the war was over. The problem was, nobody told him. It wasn't just weeks or months. Years that he continued to fight against the natives on that island in the Philippines, thinking that this world war was still going on. And it was 30 years later, until 1974, when he was finally proposed and convinced that the war was over. It's 30 years after the war was over. At, at the time, in the last during the 30 years that he was there, the, the natives, they knew it was dangerous to go out in that area, and so they would, they would leave notes, they would even put newspaper articles, clippings around, letting him know that the war was done, and he thought it was a trip. They even flew an airplane overhead and dropped a lot of flyers and, and newspaper articles, letting him know that the war was done, and still, he thought it was just a trip. He must have lived in doubt for a very long time as to whether or not this war was actually going on or not. And the fact that he lived in doubt really affected his life. For 30 long years, it affected his life individually. See, today we are looking at a section of scripture. It comes from 1 Peter. Peter was writing this, this letter to a group of Christians, a congregation of people who also were in doubt about the victory of Jesus. And the fact that this war was apparently over. Because they didn't feel like it was over. They were still suffering. They didn't understand that they, they thought that when they became Christians their problems would go away. But they faced persecution. They faced other difficulties in life. And they didn't understand how if they had the victory they could be suffering so greatly. And so it left them in doubt. And they started to wonder, do we really have this victory or not? So the Apostle Paul writes this letter not only as a letter of comfort to these people, but also as a message of confidence in the faith that's theirs. And one of the illustrations that he gives to them is this dichotomy of, of water. And, and he uses the illustration kind of like it, you know, in our world we have so many uses for water, so many uses in fact that there are actually opposite uses for them. That we use water to hydrate ourselves, but too much to drown use water to help plant life, but too much through a flood or through a storm can wreck an entire crop. You can use water to heat something up or to cool something down. Right? It has that dichotomy, two different sides of the use of water. And, and that's what we see today, too, in this illustration that Peter uses to help us understand two sides of something that typically we only see as one side, the flood. See, typically when we think of the flood and Noah's flood many years ago, we think of it as a day of disaster. Right? Destroyed the entire world, killed millions, maybe billions of different people. It had no mercy on children or the elderly or anyone. It killed people as well as animals and plant life. It destroyed this world completely. And yet, Peter wants us to see another side of that story. Those same waters, you see, that destroyed this entire world, picked up this relatively 
small boat in the nearest world and saved eight souls. Eight people. And while God was destroying the entire world and looked like he cursed the entire world, he was also at the same time loving and caring for one small family. As Christians, we don't see... As Christians, it's hard for us to see that the battle is over. It's hard for us to see that, that God is caring for us on an individual basis. It's hard for us to see that. See, we have doubts about the victory of our Savior. And, and you might be thinking, oh, no, I don't. I believe mean, everything. Well, if, if you did, if you really had absolutely no doubts about the forgiveness that was won for you, why did you suffer from guilt? We deal with anxiety and stress because we don't see, we don't understand exactly just how powerful our Savior is and how completely he destroyed Satan and sin and how powerful that he is in heaven as he looks down on us, watching over us. We don't understand how intimately involved in our lives daily he really is. We doubt. Therefore, we stress we feel anxiety, we feel guilt, we just don't, we just don't see completely the battle's over, the battle's won. So Peter tells us, and he goes back and gives us really a history lesson on what happened in this battle. He starts off by saying this, Christ died for sins once for all. See, the war against Satan and sin was waged long ago on the cross. That's where it took place. That was the battlefield. And our Savior went up against Satan and sin and he won. He took each and every one of your sins on himself and God punished him for everything that we have done. He went through the pain, the pain of sin. And that is, well, see, it's interesting because these people were suffering so greatly, but Peter shows them, listen, your suffering is nothing in comparison to what Jesus went through. It's true, isn't it? While we suffer and do face pain every day, we'll never experience the horrible suffering of payment for sin. That's something that we'll never have to endure because our Savior has been called. Payment for sin. Jesus died after that. And when it seemed as if death had pinned him down, he threw him off himself and rose from dead in the third day. And then he goes on to say something very interesting that he descended into hell. This is what it says in our lesson. It says, He went and preached to the spirits in prison, that is hell, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. See, Jesus didn't go to hell to convert souls. And, and this was happening, let me back up, this is, this is what happened not while Jesus was on the cross, but rather this happened sometime after Jesus' resurrection that he went to hell. Not to suffer, but rather to proclaim his victory over Satan and sin. And when it says he preached to the spirits, he wasn't there to convert them, he was there rather to declare, to proclaim what has already been done. It's a victory, a celebration. 
we go back to World War II and think about what happened there and go, go west into Germany, it was the, the Allied uh, people who were waiting and waiting. Their goal was to get into Berlin, the capital city of the Nazis. And finally, when they surrendered, the Americans took their tanks and had, like a parade, marching right down the middle of Berlin, among the rubble and the blown-out buildings, they showed their complete victory over Nazi Germany by marching right through the heart of their capital city. And that's just how completely destroyed Satan's sin was after our Savior came. So much so that he walked into the front door of hell, walked right through it, and proclaimed his victory over Satan's sin and death power. It doesn't end there. The victory celebration moves on. It says he went from hell to heaven to take his throne at the right hand of God. Now that doesn't mean that, that Jesus has like this smaller throne right next to the bigger throne of God the Father. Don't think of it literally like that. But who is someone who is the right hand man? Well, it's somebody that you trust, someone who has equal power, maybe in a company or in an establishment organization. And that's what our Savior had as well. Power, dominion for this world as he looks down on us and is completely involved in everything that happens in this world. Now, how does that help us? You see, God did not fight this battle. He go to war just to flex his muscles so maybe get some revenge against Satan and sin for destroying this perfect creation that he made. And he says very specifically what the purpose of this war was. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, he didn't do it for power or wealth or fame. He did it for you. That's why he baptized. He did it for you. See, our king, Jesus, he is different from any other king that there is. He wasn't out for anything selfish. He had absolutely no selfish motives when he was born into this world. He didn't gain anything by being born. He didn't gain anything by going to the cross. In fact, it says this. It says in verse it says, the just for the unjust. That is, he who was righteous was treated as someone who was unrighteous. So that we could be righteous. There's no king who has ever acted like that. Typically, a king or a political ruler is going to have some type of selfish motives behind what they do. Maybe it's vain, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's power. And even the very best leaders, the best political leaders, at best can only say that they were looking out for their entire kingdom. But no king has ever been able to love each and every person individually and say that he was fighting for them personally. Think about our Savior and how he did that. Where he makes mention not of the destruction of the entire world, but of that one family who was floating around in the ark. And became, instead of a story of destruction, a story of salvation. It says this, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. 
not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, I can prove to you that this battle was personal. I can prove to you that everything that Jesus did for you was done for you personally. And you can see the proof in your baptism. See, just as the waters flooded this world and destroyed it, the same waters saved a baptism. And when we were baptized, those waters, they, they drowned our sinful nature. And they gave us brand new life. We were born again in the day of a baptism. It's something very personal and individual. As God brought the victory that he won for us on the cross to you and me personally. Death is necessary to bring life. Jesus proved it by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. And he gives to us new life too. By drowning our sinful nature through baptism, giving us new life in that way. And someday, our sinful nature will be completely shed off of us. And then we die and we are brought to new life. Baptism is a very personal individual thing. When you think about what happens on your baptism, it's a day that you can think of that Jesus didn't go to everybody. He went to you, personally. He took everything that he won for you on the cross yours. And your baptism is a day on which you can be sure that victory is yours. It's really your confidence of the victory that Jesus won See, your old Onoda, it wasn't until 1974, 30 years after the war had ended, that he was finally convinced. And you know what finally convinced him that the war was over? He wouldn't listen to anyone. He wouldn't believe anyone except his commanding general. And so, 30 years later, they flew him onto that island where he met with him. And that finally convinced him. He had to see the proof. He needed to know that the victory, or that, that the war was completely over. Baptism is that for you and me. It's the proof that this victory is ours. It's the proof that everything that Jesus did, that we read about in the Bible, is, is ours. And so, what does that mean for you personally? That stress and that anxiety that we talked about because we're not sure if our God really is reigning on high and has all power. We know what to know this. And on the day of your baptism, that's when he first started sending angels to protect you. And he's been doing it ever since. So you have absolutely no reason for The guilt that we feel sometimes for the things that we've done in the past, it's all gone. We consider and re are reminded of the victory that our Savior won for us. Victory for his sins and one for us on the cross. In 1974, when Hiro Onoda went back to Japan, he became a symbol of heroism. But in another way, you can also say that he is a symbol of what happens when a person is doubtful or ignorant about the truth. How can he be sure 
forgiveness is yours, your Savior is watching over you personally, individually. How can you be sure that, that Jesus rose from dead? How can you be sure because you were baptized? The day of baptism, your Savior came to you personally, made all this real for us, and give us confidence for our faith.